Hey everybody, and welcome to the Atlas Podcast, episode 94. My name is Matt Rodriguez, the owner-in-chief editor of Shakefire.com. And I'm Mike McKinney with Last One to Leave the Theater.com and ATLCW.tv, and we're still missing Emma. <laughs> yep, you're stuck with us for another week. Um, the good news is Emma is back from Europe. She didn't stay there. She didn't migrate to, to Italy. So she is actually back in Atlanta, but she is covering the, uh, the Atlanta Auto Show today. So she is doing that in partnership with Kia. And so she is unfortunately not able to join us this week. So once again, you have Mike and I. And we'll try to keep going. And uh, she will be back with us next week. And we'll get to hear all the tales from London and from Italy. Yeah, yeah, should be good. I can't wait to hear the stories. But um, we're actually pretty light on content this week, um, despite having an incredibly busy week ourselves. Um, I know we're doing four screenings this week, at least. And there were like probably four movies that we missed ourselves because there were other screenings screen screening on that same day. So, yeah, it was a, it was a lot. There were a ton of screenings because there was a, a incredible amount of films that are coming out this week. I think the last time I counted, it was 10 films that were coming out um, on Friday uh, today. And so it's just, uh, it's, there was a ton of films to watch. I've watched a couple of screeners and then uh, like Matt said, we've gone, we're, we've gone to four screenings and there were a couple others that we couldn't go to just because of the fact that there were so many films to see this week. Yeah. And we'll actually have three reviews this week because even though we're light on small talk, we did see a lot of films. So we'll have Pacific Rim Uprising. That's the big one that's coming out this week. And then Mike saw The Death of Stalin while I saw Unsane. So we will have three reviews for you later on in the episode. But first, let's jump right into the box office report. And another another week, another win for Mike. <laughs> yeah, um, once again, Black Panther came in number one, did 26, um, almost 27 mil. Um, I think, uh, thinking about this all week, I think this is going to be the last week that Black Panther is going to be number one. Um, this five weeks in a row, which is amazing. There's only a couple other films that have done this before where it was five weeks in a row that it was number one film and to yeah. do $605 million in those five weeks is just amazing. It's an amazing, amazing number. Uh, yeah. Raider, the last, the last movie to do it was Titanic. There so you go. That's, so that's shows quite, you how long it's been. Right. That's quite a while ago. And that was, and of course we know Titanic was a huge, huge box office. Yeah. And of course, that was also back when, you know, like you weren't having these massive, massive blockbusters coming out every single week. So like Black Panther has had some tight competition. And so to do that in this day and age is impressive. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Um, So uh, it uh, Tomb Raider came in number two, did twenty three point six, which was about what I thought it would do. Um it 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 is done okay uh, nation uh, worldwide. In fact, it was number one in box office in China. I think it did like thirty million in China. So it's doing okay. Um, 
Um, but the big surprise is the faith-based movie, I Can Only Imagine, which came in number three at $17 million. Um, <clears throat> this is one of the strongest faith-based movies openings ever. Um, and it had very little uh, support. There was very little advertising. Uh, the only advertising that was done was on, on Christian stations and on Christian radio. Uh, so for it to do 17 million is just amazing. And it was also in only a um, thousand five hundred theaters, a thousand six hundred theaters. So that's an amazing number for a faith based movie. Uh, yeah. Wrinkle in Time um, came in number four, uh, still doing fairly well at 16 million. And then another new movie that we both loved, uh, Love, Simon, came in number five. I highly recommend Love, Simon. It's such a good movie. Um, and everybody will enjoy it, whether you're a teen, whether you're an adult. It's just a wonderful movie. Um, Game Night still plugging along. Number six, uh, Peter Rabbit, Strangers Pray at Night, uh, Red Sparrow, and Death Wish came in at number 10. And then another new movie, although it was not in a ton of theaters, only 800 theaters, Seven Days in Tebe came in number 13 at $1.5 million. And The Greatest yeah. Showman... It's still going along. It came at number 14. It did $1.1 million, but it's done 160, almost $170 million in 13 yeah. weeks. Yeah. That actually just came out on Digital HD this week. Yeah. So you can now own it if you want, even though it's still playing in theaters. So, which is crazy and good. Um, we saw that Seven Days in Entebbe movie, and that wasn't that great. We didn't review it, but. Um, it wasn't that great a film, unfortunately. Yeah, it's at least it's, I thought. <laughs> no, I, I thought I agree. Also, I I thought it took an amazing event and made it dull. Um, the only thing we we both kind of liked was the dance sequences, which is kind of weird when you're talking about an action movie. <laughs> but but uh, it just was a very dull movie, even uh, you know, with with such a, an incredible event. Um, yeah, and I thought the the. They really mangled the last the last portion of the film, but it's just a, it's kind of a boring movie. Yeah, I'm curious to see what I can only imagine is going to do this week because I mean nobody expected anything from it last week. So right. to it premiere in third place in half the amount of theaters, that's well, pretty impressive. What's going to hurt it is that there's another faith based movie opening up. Uh, Paul the Apostle of Christ is opening up. So it's going to take away from some of your uh, faith-based movies uh, going. It's because there's another one opening up this week. Um, and it's, I don't remember how many theaters it's in, but uh, I, I think it's its quite a few. Although, once again, I haven't seen a lot of advertising for it. Um, and yeah. it was not screened, as most faith-based movies, it was not screened for critics. No. Um, but I think uh, this will be the first week weekend where uh, Black Panther's not going to be number one. I think yeah. uh, Pacific Rim Uprising is going to come in number one. Um, I think it'll do around 22 to $25 million. And I think Black Panther, because I just think everybody's seen it. And if you haven't seen it, you're, you're not a moviegoer. And <laughs> it's, it's funny you mentioned that because um, we saw Isle of Dogs the other day, which we will review next week. And I overheard somebody saying, oh, like, oh, I haven't seen Black Panther yet. I'm going to go see it this weekend. <laughs> so <laughs> there are people that still haven't seen it and do plan on seeing it. So, yeah, I, I, I think it'll still do well. I think it'll come in number two um, at like 16, 15 million, 16 million. 
It's just not, I mean, it's just, even if you're, you loved it, you're, I don't know if you're going to go see it a fourth time. You may have gone and seen it a third time, but I don't know if you'd see it a fourth time. And so it is just going to be those people that haven't seen it yet. Um, so I think it's going to come in number two. We have an animated movie, which Matt and I both didn't see, although they did screen it for us. Um, Sherlock uh, Gnomes, which is the sequel to Nomeo and Juliet. Um, and I think that'll come in number three. Uh, Tomb Raider, I think, is still going to have a fairly strong weekend. It'll come in number four. And then the faith-based movie, I can only imagine, will come in number five. Um, so, and then, like I said, we got Paul, the Apostle of Christ coming in. Um, and then there's a, a ton of smaller movies that are also being released this, this weekend. Yeah. Busy weekend for films. So go out and see something. Definitely. All right. So let us jump right into our reviews. So first up is going to be Pacific Rim Uprising, with which both Mike and I saw. Um, I'll intro that. Basically, the film takes place 10 years into the future from the first film, and it follows Jake Pentecost, who's played by John Boyega. And if you recall in the first film, he is the son of Stacker Pentecost, who was played by Idris Elba. And so... The film is Jake. He's a rebel and he's not exactly this. He doesn't live up to the same standards as his father did. And so he basically, basically he gets recruited, forced to join up to be a Jaeger pilot. And so he doesn't really want to, he doesn't care. And he is forced to train the younger generation of Jaeger pilots. And they are trying to, you know, prepare for the inevitable, inevitable kaiju, you know, rebellion that is going to come back at some point and which it does, of course. And so now Jake and um, his fellow pilots, um, the other focus one is Lambert, who's played by Scott Eastwood. And he's he's basically the 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 amalgamation of Riley from the first one. So he, you know, he's this good looking, um, you know, straight edge Jaeger pilot. And so they basically try are having to fight off a new new wave of even more intelligent kaiju that come attack the city. So that's that. And Mike, how bored were you with this? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Your size say, says it all. Yeah, I would put it at um, three. Um, it's just there's it's it's hard to describe because there's there's some pretty good action sequences, but they were they were confusing as all get out to me, especially the the last sequence which lasts like fifteen twenty minutes. Um, I couldn't figure out what the heck was happening. Um, it's not very well explained. Um, I have no idea where some of the robots went. Uh, there were some other robots that showed up that I didn't know what they were. They were never explained. Um, it just, and then the, the buildup takes forever to get going. Um, so I was pretty bored. I'd, I'd put it at three. Yeah, I was bored as well. 
um, slightly different reasons. I thought I thought the action was good. You know, it's just that the film has no soul to it. Um, the first one was done by Guillermo del Toro, and like you could tell, it is very. It's still a very Guillermo del Toro film. This one is directed by Stephen DeKnight, and it just doesn't have you know the same character that the first film first film had and it's just like these jaegers and the characters they're all these they all they're all so lifeless and you just don't care about them and like there's no weight to them like it was funny because you know they're fighting the whole the big main fight takes place in tokyo i believe it's tokyo and so like Right at the beginning, when the kaiju attack, like, you see people run into these underground bunkers that they set up. And, like, they say, they explain how, oh, everybody's in the underground bunker. Everybody's safe in the underground bunker. And, like, my immediate, th- my immediate thought went to, like, oh, great. So, now they're just going to destroy this, the entire city. They don't care. You know, there's no collateral damage that they care about. So, it's just... I don't know. It just feels so weightless and just, you know, the, the, uh, the Jaegers are just flipping and doing all these crazy stunts. And it's, it's not entertaining as the first film. Um, so yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's just, uh, and, and the thing, the thing is, is that, um, when we're watching the film, you know, they, they have all these people running to the underground bunker. Well, the underground bumper like closes and there's still a lot of people that are outside of the underground bumper bunker. And, and we're, we all, after the film are going, wait a minute, what about those people? <laughs> Cause they're, they're dead. Cause that's, they that's what about them. But it's just like, it's like, you know, it's trying to, it's like the filmmakers wanted to destroy Tokyo, but they didn't want the backlash of Superman versus Batman. Um, where the, basically the whole city was destroyed and people were dying right and left. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's just that, and that's the laziness of this film. Is just that it 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 just feels very generic, and all the characters yeah. feel very generic. Um, and if you if you didn't have such a good actor in in um, in uh, John Boriega, uh, this film would be totally lifeless. He's the only thing that saves this film from being unwatchable. Yeah. No, I totally agree. Like his charisma is what sells this film and he's great in it. Like he, he carries a lot of it. Um, he has a lot, there are a lot of great laughs in it because of him and his character and, you know, his relationship with the other characters. Um, but yeah, it's still, it's still not enough to save the film. So, um, how much eye rolling were you doing? Oh, there are five. I, I mean, mean yeah. yeah the, the the writing in this film is just so bad and you know Guillermo del Toro did the story but he didn't do the script and you can tell so it's like he set up he set up everything and then um the the screenwriter and the director just didn't carry out the vision and it's like they didn't even watch the first film I don't even think he did the story no, I think I, he just gets credit for creating it No I think it was it was Night and Noen T.S. Nolan, who did the story. Well, what, then, I, what I read is that he he had written the story and then um, decided not to go on to do it because he wanted to do Shape of Water, um, which obviously was a great decision. 
uh, yeah. since he's won two Academy Awards because of it. Um, but that that's the thing I read, that he did do the original story. Um, now, whether or not there was well, another story. I don't think he was actually credited for that. So, okay. like, I think that was probably completely scrapped. Oh, and you can tell. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't. Yeah, it's nothing. If you love the first film, which I know a lot of people did, um, it's it's nothing like that, unfortunately. And I mean, you could tell that with from the trailers, just because of how much the action focuses, you know, how much the trailers focus on the action and just it feels like a Power Rangers movie. You know, it has that just weird feeling to it, you know, and it's like you want you want a Godzilla movie. That's what I got out of the first film. But this is just crazy Power Rangers, you know, beating up on each other. It's just a whole CGI mess that it doesn't work, unfortunately. Um, so, yeah, I definitely agree with you. There is a lot of eye rolling to the movie. Um, best and worst performance. Oh, uh, well, I think obviously, we obviously, probably, yeah. Yeah. I mean, John Boyega. Yeah. I mean, he's. He is a great, you know, leading man. Like, he can lead a film, you know, between this and Star Wars. You know, I've always enjoyed pretty much everything he's done so far. It's just the scripts he's doing, dealing with are just, they're so lackluster. And, and it's his own fault because he produced the movie. Yeah. Yeah, this was, I think, I believe it's his first movie that he's produced with, I know he set up a new company, production company, and this is the first movie. So, um, I also want to say, um, Kaylee, Kaylee Spaney. I don't know if I'm pronouncing her name right. Um, Emma would be proud of us, <laughs> but, um, she plays Amara Namani and she's the, basically the new, the new character for the new generation of Jaeger pilots. And I got to say, I actually enjoyed her performance. You know, it wasn't amazing. It wasn't great. But um, I thought she did a solid job as, you know, this young, new, kind of basically rebellious uh, Jaeger pilot who, you know, she, like Boyega's character, she is basically forced into joining up to uh, become a Jaeger pilot. And so, you know, she has this rebellious attitude about her. You know, she built her own um, mini Jaeger I guess you would call it. Uh, and so, like, I just, I enjoyed her. Yeah, it's, it's a really good performance, and especially the fact this is her first feature film. I mean, she's only done a short. Um, yeah. Now, now she just hadn't done, any, she hadn't done anything. Um, so it's a really good performance. I look forward to seeing, and I'm looking on her IMDb page, and she's got, like, four films coming out in the next uh, year and a half. Um, but uh, this this was a really good performance by her. I was very impressed by her. Um, and I when I looked her up, I was like, wow, she hadn't done anything before this. So yeah. obviously the uh, Boyega saw something in her um, in the auditions, and, and I think it was a good choice. As far as worst performance, um, you know, Scott Eastwood never – I never enjoy his performances. He's such a – he's such an – He's very like his father in that he gives such dry performances, but he doesn't have the nuance that his father has. Well, like every character he plays is like the same. He's like, you know, this, you know, hunk heartthrob 
that like there's nothing to any of his characters in any of his films and it's the same here you know they're supposed to be old friends him and john boyega but you just don't get that from them at all yeah it's it's just a it's there's no there's absolutely no spark between the two of them um and there's no spark between scott eastwood and anybody in the cast even the uh, there's there's a, a tech person that um i don't remember her name but she they're there they flirt she flirts with both boyega and eastwood throughout the whole film and then i guess she chooses no, I, eastwood. I think i think she was a fellow jaeger pilot well, i want to yeah, say but she, didn't, but she doesn't but she's that's what i couldn't figure out because she was back at the headquarters yeah so i don't i don't it, it didn't make any sense i don't know this whole film doesn't make any sense i mean <laughs> they, they ended up i mean it's like I, once again, the writer just was really lazy, and it's like you knew what was going to happen at the end that all these young pilots would be the ones that you know were going to save the the world instead of all the experienced pilots, which they never really kind of said where everybody was. They just said, "Oh, they're all dead," and you're like, "Well, yeah, most of them got dead, were killed, yeah." And you're in like, that "Attack!" You're like, "Okay." All uh, right, but all these young pilots, all these new kids are going to save the day. So you knew that was going to happen. Yeah. It's just it's just lazy. Once again, lazy script writing. Um and that's that's the downfall of this film. It's just it's it's lazy. Um and it just goes for the easy easy win and and goes for the easy characters and So overall, on the official Atlas scale of 1 to 5, what would you rate it? I'd give it a 1.5. Oh, ouch. Um, I think I'm going to give it a little bit higher than you. Um, I thought the, you know, as bad as the story was, the action itself was entertaining at least. So um, I'm giving it a 2.5. Yeah, I give it a 1.5 because, like I said, I was really confused on everything that was happening. I mean, I didn't understand at the the end of the film, there's like three or four bad robots. And then all of a sudden there's just one robot i was like well i don't understand they did it did i didn't understand what happened it was just what do you very- mean? there was only there was only ever one bad robot no there was like <laughs> no, there was like three or four. Oh no no oh yeah yeah well they got they were they were killed they were all decommissioned because uh, i mean i so i guess we're getting into spoiler territory here <laughs> okay, but, but like, yeah, because it's not a spoiler because I didn't understand that. And that's once again, this this, yeah. this script was just it didn't explain things very well, didn't set up things very well. And so I just I would for the last third of the film, I was just thoroughly confused. I just couldn't keep up with all of what it was trying to do. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. Well. Moving right along. Next, we're going to cover The Death of Stalin, which Mike saw. So, want to give us a little intro about what that's about? Sure. So, um, basically, this is a black comedy about uh, the last days of Joseph Stalin, which was a – he was basically – he was the head of the Soviet Union back in the 50s. And he was known for – uh, he killed off like three million people through death camps and just uh, assassinations and everything else. He held his power by just being a tyrant, and um, he's surrounded by a bunch of yes men um, who also are just um, all 
vying for the top spot and um, he dies suddenly. And then there's a big power struggle. Uh, who's going to lead the Soviet Union after his death. Um, and that's basically the film. Um, it's got a great cast. Um, so let's go into the review. Yeah. So uh, how bored were you? Um, I don't know. It's it's hard to, this is a really hard film to, to get a feel on because of the fact that it is a, it's, 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 it's a really weird film. Um, cause in one aspect, it's got a lot of comedy in it, but in the same time, there's a bunch of people that are dying. <laughs> and, Hence black comedy. Yes. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's an interesting film. I didn't thoroughly enjoy it because I couldn't get into the flow of it. Um, mm. I know a lot of other film critics are just heaping huge praise on it. Um, I just didn't, I never got the flow of the film. So I, I don't, I don't say I wasn't that I was bored. I just never quite got the concept of what it was trying to do. Um, mm. I would, as far as boredom, I would give it like a two because there's some really good actors in this film. Um, but so there, I, the boredom factor, there wasn't a boredom factor for me. Gotcha. Okay. So, um, what about eye rolling? Were you rolling your eyes a lot at it? I, <laughs> I, it's such a weird film. Um, I would give it probably, of the eye rolling, I'd probably give it a 2.5. I did have some eye rolling just because of, because I, I just didn't get the, I just didn't get what the filmmakers were trying to do. Um, you know, it's got, it's got people like Jeffrey Tambor and Michael Palin. Um, so it's a really interesting cast. Um, and it, it's very interesting because uh, with the sexual harassment stuff of Jeffrey Tambor, um, they actually took him off the poster. Um, he's no longer on the poster, and he's he's one of the main characters. He he's basically a um, he's second in command behind Stalin, and when Stalin dies, then he takes over. But he's he's really not a leader. He's really a follower. He's really a, just a yes man, and he's easily manipulated. So everybody kind of manipulates him in order to get what they want. Um, mm. So, like I said, I just have a hard time with – I never got what the filmmakers were trying to do. I did think there were times that it, sometimes it was very funny, and then sometimes I thought the comedy um, fell flat. Mm. So do you have a best and worst performance? Um. I really like Jeffrey Tambor in this film. I um, mean, he plays this this guy that's just a complete idiot. Um, he, and he's more concerned about how he looks. And um, there's a there's a I, I'm I, this really is a spoiler, but there's a great scene. There's a very famous picture of Stalin that um, he he picked up a girl, uh, a young girl, and and was in front of a crowd and this picture got circulated and it made it look like he was a great guy because this young girl was just beautiful and beaming and they're both, you know, he Stalin is laughing with her and it really helped with his image with the people. And so Jeffrey Tambor's character decides he wants to do that. They try to find the original girl and she's grown up now and doesn't look, she's, you know, because she hasn't been eating because they've, they've had famines. Um, you know, she's really skinny and not beautiful anymore. 
So they pick another girl, and he goes out to talk to the Mathis, and you can't see the girl because she's so short, and he never picks her up like Stalin did. So all you see is his hand waving, <laughs> and Jeez. so it doesn't do anything. But I, I, Tambor's really good in it. Um, I, there really wasn't a bad performance in this film. That's that's what kept me interested in the film was the fact that the performances were so good. So I w- I wouldn't say there's anybody that's 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 bad in this film. Okay. So overall, what would you give it? Uh, because I just didn't get the the flow. Um, I'm gonna give it a three. I know a lot of other filmmakers are considering this one of the best films of the year. Other critics, but I just didn't. I just didn't understand it. Um, so I'm gonna give it a three. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Moving right along. Next, we have Unsane from Stevens. Or yeah, Steven Soderbergh, and um, I am going to intro that. And basically, that is a psychological horror thriller where Claire Claire Foy she basically has been having some issues at her work, and so she decides to go to a to a uh, therapy session at a mental hospital and, you know, just talk things out with a therapist and unbeknownst to her, she signs some paperwork that, um, voluntarily causes her to basically be admitted into the mental institution. And she's basically involuntarily, uh, checked into the place even though she thinks she's fine and she believes, you know, she's, she's actually been believing that she's been stalking, been stalked by an ex-boyfriend or not even an ex-boyfriend, just somebody she knew. And this person, this guy has been stalking her. And so she's just going into this therapy session to kind of get things off her chest. And she gets checked in and all of a sudden she's seeing this guy at the mental hospital. And so she's trying to, you know, explain to the doctors that, oh, oh my God, he's followed me here. He's trying to, you know, get back with me. He's my stalker and blah, blah, blah. Like he's not who he says he is. But of course, nobody believes her because she's, you know, everybody thinks she's crazy. And so the movie is, you know, half this whole stalker aspect and half about mental institutions and how, you know, nobody believes crazy people and how um, these mental institutions take advantage of that by basically they're like this insurance scam where, Oh, they'll, they'll keep you as long as the insurance is paying the money. But once, once the insurance runs out, everything's cured and you're free to go kind of thing. And so, What's interesting about the film is that Soderbergh filmed it on three iPhone 7s. So, if you're familiar at all with uh, Sean Baker's Tangerine that came out a couple years ago, he filmed that on the iPhone 5. And so, you know, Soderbergh is, he basically, he took three iPhones and filmed this entire movie on that. And I'll talk about more on that in the... uh, the uh next thing <laughs> so how 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 bored were you i actually i wasn't that bored um i was very intrigued by it at first like you know of course what drew me into the film was the fact that it was filmed on iphone so like that's kind of like an immediate 
draw is like you want to see how how it turned out, how he filmed it on the iPhone, what it looks like and everything. And so that's what drew me into it. But I really enjoyed the story. So I really found um, Claire Foy's character to be interesting and how, you know, she's stuck in this mental institution. And so it's it really does play with your mind because a lot of the film is you're you are wondering like, okay, is she imagining everything or is she is she actually, you know, saying is she really being stalked by this guy? And so there's a lot of that back and forth. And then once once everything becomes more clear, then it's very, very much a psychological horror movie which I, I really enjoyed. And like the whole iPhone aspect, that kind of fell into the background. Like you you can see it from the start, especially like there are a couple shots where it's from the stalker's point of view. And so it's like kind of the, the, you know, the cameras behind the bushes and you see Claire Foy's character off in the distance kind of thing. And like, even if you're filming that with normal cameras, you can tell you know, it's a film camera, you know, the, the sharpness is clear. Like you can tell it's been downgraded and stuff. And so that kind of takes you out. But like when you are actually filming it with an iPhone, like you get that graininess, you get that grittiness and it just, it just feels very unsettling. So I really enjoyed those moments and I thought the whole iPhone really fit the theme of the film well. So, uh, what about eye rolling? There's not much eye rolling, I would say. Um, there are some comedic moments. Um, Jay Farrow and Juna Temple, they, they're, they're, they're patients at the hospital as well. And Jay Farrow especially, there are, has, some, has some funny moments and there, are, there is a little bit of humor. But, and so like, there are a few moments where you're rolling your eyes, but not much. I will say it was very it was a weird screening experience because a lot of the audience I was with I was with were actually laughing throughout the film and like it's it's not a comedy at all like yes there are a few jokes and stuff to lighten the mood but like they were laughing at some of the deeply dark and disturbing things and it was it was just a weird movie watching experience for me so I'm not sure how all the other screenings of the film are going to go but for ours at least was a little bit of little awkward, a little weird. But um yeah, overall there's not much eye rolling. Like it's it's a very intimate film. Like they filmed at a real mental hos- hospital and like they didn't change any of the walls or anything. Like there wasn't much set decoration that they had to do. They basically kept everything as it was. So like it's very immersive, which I liked. All right, so um, uh, and all three of these films were not shot in Atlanta, so there's no Atlanta. No, um, yeah, no, no Atlanta recognition. No Atlanta on recognition anything. On, on any of the films that we're reviewing. So overall, what would you give it? Well, before we get to that, uh, best oh, and worst performance. Worst. Yes. yes. Um, Claire Foy, definitely give as the best performance. I mean, she's she's the main main focus of the entire film, and she does a great job at you know capturing both crazy and sane moments to her character that kind of make you go back and forth. Um, as far as worst, 
I would give it to Juno Temple. Um, I just, her character is a little too over the top. Like she is, her character, she's supposed to play the typical, you know, crazy patient you see in film and media, you know, who's basically crazy, you know, screaming loudly and doing ridiculous things that no normal person does. And she takes that a little bit too over the top, I would say. So I would give her the worst. But um, moving on now to the overall performance, um, I actually I really enjoyed this film. I was pleasantly surprised by it. You know, I would give it a a solid four out of five. Um, it's a really good psychological thriller that touches on some really good themes about mental institutions and you know mental health, and it's just. It's a really solid film, so definitely check it out, I would say. All right. Well, I'm sorry I missed it because I, yeah. uh, I probably would have enjoyed it much more than I enjoyed uh, <laughs> Stalin. Yeah. That's the luck of the draw sometimes. Yep. Yeah. So, I, uh, uh, and I was wanting – I wanted to go see a comedy, um, so um, yeah, that's what I chose, and sometimes you choose wrong. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, next so uh, next week, Emma will be back. We say this now, but we're pretty confident well, that she will return next week. Well, she was at our screening last night, so we know that she's in town. That she did yeah, not, yeah, she did we not have seen her. her. She does exist. <laughs> and so, so yeah, next week we will all be reviewing Isle of Dogs. That actually comes out next Wednesday in Atlanta. So we will have our review after it's premiered. So yeah, you can definitely it's, uh, it's only re- it's only releasing in some select cities next week. Um, and Atlanta gets to be one of them. Um, and New York and L.A., I think it's already in theaters. Um, but uh, it's just a very small uh, group of cities that Isle Dogs is going to be released in. Uh, the big one that we've got is uh, Ready Player One. That's the big film that's coming out um, next week. Yeah. Um, and then, um, another faith-based movie. So I don't understand. I, sometimes I don't understand the studios from how they release stuff because it seems like if you already have two faith-based movies, why would you release another one? But in the, uh, God's not dead series, this is number three. Um, and it's being released next week also. And we do have some other smaller films also releasing next week. Yeah. So we will get all of that good stuff next week and we'll have tales from Europe from Emma, so yes. get ready for that. <laughs> All right, so that's it for this week, and we will see you next week. Um, be sure to rate us, like us, subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, wherever you listen to us. Leave us a comment. We always appreciate those. So thank you very much for listening to the Atlas Podcast. Once again, I am Matt Rodriguez, the owner and chief editor of ShakeFire.com. And I'm Mike McKinney with last one to leave the theater.com and ATLCW.tv. And we'll see you next time with Emma and probably also Fozzie. <laughs> yes, we will. Back to our regular schedule. Take care, everybody. <laughs>